Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and you have entered into the fix. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the Recovery Guy, and welcome to welcome to Friday's podcast. And I am just glad you're here. I'm trying to concentrate just a little bit on slowing down. I know I get to rambling. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a function that had... Uh, a sign language interpreter at this function. And while I was talking and sharing the information, I looked over at this person and they were just working like crazy. Hands were moving um, in such a fast uh, speed or cadence that uh, I realized I was talking way too fast and just causing this person to try to interpret everything to make sure those who needed that ASL interpretation would be able to capture all of the words. And at the end of my talk, I, I went over and I said, hey, I'm really sorry that... Um, that I made you work so hard. And she told me that I was talking at approximately 250 words per minute. Now, I'd never been, I'd never put that to the test. I'd never challenged that, but she thought it was a little bit too fast. And so sometimes I catch myself uh, when I'm doing sound checks and things like that. And I'm reminded of how quickly I talk. So if I do talk faster uh, than needed or faster than you can uh, uh, disseminate, uh, discern, what have you, uh, the, the information, then just go ahead and listen again and message me and say, slow it down, big fella. Uh, there's no reason, but I just get anxious. I get excited and, and I just sort of begin moving forward faster than... Um, than, than allowed. A lot of times it's because if I don't speak, uh, then I forget what I was going to say. Maybe that's an ADD thing. Maybe that's just a, a part of my brain that never uh, uh, reasserted itself, or maybe it's age. I'm not sure. But if I do speak too quickly, I do apologize for that in advance. I don't know if I'm going to fix it, but I want you to know that I know. Hey, um, on Friday's podcast, obviously every Tuesday, we're uh, being involved in the steps. And this week it was step five uh, called Letting Go. Hopefully you had an opportunity to listen to that. Even if you've already done that step, if you have some friends in recovery who are approaching that step, have them go back. Obviously, I've done steps one, two, three, four, and five up to now. Have them go back and take a listen and see if uh, that content would help them. 
Hey, today's podcast is entitled, How Do I Identify? How do I identify? Now, obviously, when I go into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's, hey, my name is Robert and I'm an alcoholic. So I know that particular identity, but we want to dig a little bit deeper in that. You know, when when we first come to recovery, we had lived a life and a lie for so long not only are we unable to differentiate the true from the false outside of us, we don't know who's friend, we don't know who's foe, we don't know what's good, we don't know what's bad, we don't know what's light, we don't know what's darkness. We've lived upside down, and I call it going through life sideways. We've done that so long, we really don't know how to differentiate who we are or for that matter, who we aren't, right? We we have an identity when we're out there ripping and running, and even an identity before uh, behavior or substances uh, became a, a predominant part or a controlling controlling part of our life. I would tell people, uh, and I heard this years ago in recovery, and I adopted it because I was able to, there's a word, identify with it so much. The person had said they came from nothing, they believe they were nothing, and they thought they would always be a nothing, right? Came from nothing, were nothing, and would always be a nothing. And so by the time I got to alcohol and drugs when I was 14 years old, uh, I became what I called an almost, right? So the first time I drank and used with Don and Dean and a couple other friends in the neighborhood sitting under the tree on Conwell Street in Covina, California. And I remember drinking because we could get away with it, right? We were, it's a summer night, we were looking for something to do. When the parents passed out, we got some of their alcohol and we sat under our tree, my tree, and and we drank. And we did that to get away with something. But you know what? Something happened with my identity at that moment. I went from coming from nothing and being a nothing to always going to be a nothing. I became in that moment an almost and I drank up until I could no longer control, right? In Japan, they say, and I love this, Father Martin talks about this in Chalk Talk. In Japan, they have a saying that says, first the man takes a drink, then the drink takes the drink, and then the drink takes the man, right? So when we are taking a drink, we have a semblance of an identity, and then the drink takes a drink, and we're not sure of who we are. And then, when when um, and then when the drink takes the man, we lose all sense of identity because we are no longer in control. The obsession, the phenomenon of craving, kicks in, and we lose every bit of balance and identity of of who we thought we were because now. We're no longer ourselves because we're in, we don't have control anymore. So we become whatever we are addicted to. 
regardless of what it's a behavior or a substance, we become under the control of that. Therefore, we no longer have our own identity. And when we live that way so long, I lived that way from 14 years old to 32 years old. So for 18 years, I was trying to recapture the feeling of being an almost. And then once the alcohol began to turn me into that uh, from a from an occasional to a periodic uh, to to a chronic um, when I was about 18 or 19 years old. Uh, matter of fact, um, in terms of losing your identity, I remember I, I was looking, you know, in, in, in AA, I finally learned there were geographics. Everything I did, everywhere I went, almost every relationship was was about trying to establish myself as an identity because I was losing me and I needed things outside of me uh, to have an identity because I had no point of relation on the inside of me. Does that make sense? So every bit of identity was an external identity. It's not really who I was, it's what I did or who I was with. So so I went into the Air Force. I dropped out of high school January 3rd of my 18th birthday, enrolled into the Air Force, and then went away later on that year. I think it was like in May or something like that uh, of uh, 1972. Went into basic training. Never got out of basic training because obviously I had no identity. I was Airman Pardon, but that's really all I knew who I was. Anyway, to make a long story short, um, they they said, well, I know that you want to be this, but we can't identify with you. And so we're, we're, we're going to uh, get you out on a uh, general discharge. And, and they, they subtitled it inability to adjust to military life. Well, when you don't have an identity, you don't, you don't have any foundation. You don't have a set point. You don't have anything to be grounded to. Therefore, how can you ever figure out who you are? So even going through the motions became difficult because I didn't know who I was. I had no identity outside of alcohol and drugs. So, you know, they, they, they did me a favor, you know, uh, they, they discharged me and then they gave me a, an open-ended uh, prescription to 20 milligram Valiums, which was you know what? What? What do you give a? What do you give a drug addict and an alcoholic who who can't go get through basic training because of drugs and alcohol? You give them an open-ended prescription to drugs, right? Worked good for me, which allowed me to even hide more deeply into my addiction. And that's when I, I was still 18 years old. I would not get clean and sober and start that journey of recovery for another 14 years. So you know how far we go. You know how far into the depths of lack of identity that we go. So by the time I came into recovery, trust me when I tell you, I had no idea who I was other than I was a failure. I was a failure as a husband. I was a failure as a son. I was a failure as a brother. I was a failure as a father. I was a failure as a friend. 
I was a failure as an employee, you name it, whatever I went to do, I failed at. That was my identity. When we come into recovery, that needs to change, that needs to evolve, that needs to grow because I have to understand and I think this is important for you to understand as well. We are not what we did. Do you, do you understand me? Do you believe me when I tell you? I hope you believe me. I hope you understand the importance of this statement. We are not what we did. Now, that is, does that absolve us of our consequences of our behavior? No, it doesn't. And and I'm not never suggesting that anything was unfair to me because the consequences that occurred in my addiction are what I call, they're called now natural consequences as I understand them now, but we would call them the price of admission, right? The price of admission. Everything that happened to me earned my seat. It was my price of admission into the rooms of recovery. I earned that seat. I paid for that seat. I had every right to be there because I was sick. But I was not what I did. And there's a real stigma for those of us who become what we do or what we did because of so many of the things and so many of the people we had harmed I mean, you're talking about an adulterer who walked out on his children. As a man, when you realize what you did, and you actually know it while you're doing it, the depths and despair of self-identity are at the lowest of lows. And the fact that I never blew myself, never blew my brains out along the way, or purposely drove my car off of a cliff, astound me to this day. Lord knows I tried, but I really didn't want to die. As I previously stated, I just didn't know how to live. So when I come into recovery, I must view myself as one as deserving of recovery and healthy relationships. I have to, because if not, why would I do the steps? If I don't see something redeemable in me, why would I do that? Until I see myself in this light, I will not do the things necessary to transform into this new person. I, I will still hold on and equate the things of what I did as to who I am. And it will be a stumbling block to my wellness. Because the minute something goes wrong or doesn't go right, I will then revert to and say, well, what did you expect? I'm a POS anyway. Nobody but a very, very bad person would do the things that you do. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't bad people out there who aren't psychopaths or schizo not, not schizophrenic, but sociopaths, you know, who have no moral compass, Who, but that's not the majority of who we are. The overwhelming majority of people in recovery are the most caring and thoughtful people on the planet, 
Addiction just got in the way. As I would often say, when we drink, when we use, when we engage in that behavior, all bets are off. We will give it all away. One of the people that I coach, uh, he's um, he's got like 140-some days now of personal recovery. So proud of this person. And I was and I was chatting with them the other day and, and just saying, you have to remember, you weren't this guy. There was another element at work that caused you to do these things, but it's obvious that's not who you were because now I see who you are based on the program of recovery. At some point, we need to see ourselves as different. You know, I remember being almost 400 pounds. Now I'm, you know, 232 pounds. And and I remember even after I lost all my weight and I looked in the mirror and, and I had to begin seeing myself differently. I had to change my personal view of me. I had to uh, identify no longer as an obese person, but a person in great shape. And I've kept the weight off for 11 years now. And I, at 67 years old, I have no reason to think I won't, I won't die as, as a person who is uh, not, you know, pretty healthy guy, you know, uh, I lose a couple pounds here, hit the gym one more day a week, you know, um, but all in all, I feel good. I've got some stamina. I've got some energy. And, and that's how I need to see myself as, as more of a person of health than anything else. So what does it mean? Let's break this word identity down. Let's see what resonates with you and how we can apply it to our personal recovery. Because again, until I'm willing to see myself worthy of a person of recovery, and that's it, by the way, that's where others come into play. And I really, my heart goes out to people who don't have access to uh, face-to-face meetings. I know here in Utah, up in Bountiful, the South Davis Alano Club and the Las Vegas, um, excuse me, the uh, Salt Lake City Alano Club, they're allowing you know, face-to-face personal meetings with some social distancing and masking uh, as as required by the county and, and the CDC. Um, you know, but but a lot of people can't get to meetings. They, they have to Zoom meetings and things like that because it's just not open up in their area. And you're really missing out on so much, especially if you know the difference, right? If you're new to recovery or relatively new within the last eight, nine, 10 months, you might not have ever gone to a meeting outside of an online meeting. So much of my connection and seeing myself through someone else's glasses, I would actually, you know, for the uh, using the metaphor, I would put on their glasses so I could see what they were seeing. I could see them and I could see me through their lenses and they would see me as redeemable. They would see me as a person who had an identity that was worth salvaging. They knew what I had the capability of becoming if I was willing to take a few steps. So identity, here's what it means. The state or fact of remaining the same one or ones as under varying aspects or conditions. In other words, I am who I am. My life is no longer Mr. Toad's wild ride. As under varying aspects or conditions. So life can be up, life can be down, and I'm going to be a steady Eddie. This is what my identity is. I I often joke and say, 
you know, I'm really a pretty boring guy. Really, I'm I'm really predictable. I, you can now now what you can predict about me is not always good. Just because I'm predictable doesn't mean I'm always right or I'm not always charming uh, or funny or what have you. Um, but I am very predictable, and and I like that. And it doesn't mean I'm boring. I mean, heck, if you know me for a minute, um, I I insist on enjoying life. I'm happy, joyous, and free. I love the heck out of my recovery. I enjoy my life to the fullest. I, I, I insist on enjoying life. And again, if newcomers could see no joy in our existence, they wouldn't want it. So I hope you feel, see an energy or feel an energy coming through this microphone. And you know that I approach life uh, with the zeal of a child. I love Polar Express because at the end of the movie, the character that's narrated by Tom Hanks, uh, I forget the little boy's name. Uh, he says he still hears the bells, right? His sister doesn't hear him anymore. The mom and dad on Christmas morning, they said, oh, gee, what a bell. Oh, it's broken, right? They didn't even hear it back then. But I, I still hear the bells. And and I want to hear the bells on a regular basis through varying conditions I don't want my life to be characterized by Mr. Toad's wild ride. I don't want to be externally motivated. I want to be internally grateful, internally directioned. And that allows me to be the same through varying aspects or conditions. That is what my identity is. It is grounded in the truth, the understanding of knowing who I am and I know who I'm not. And, and if I'm supposed to be who I'm not, then I learn to become that. It's kind of like the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, right? I know who I am. I know who I'm not. And if I'm supposed to become who I'm not, uh, then, then I learn how to do that. And if I'm just not supposed to be that person, I don't even worry about it. I don't, I don't let it take up any, space in my head rent-free. The next thing is the condition of being oneself or itself and not another. I don't have to be a placator anymore. I don't have to be a chameleon. I don't have to be who you need me to be. I am who I am and I minister to you, right? And that is so important to understand. I was sharing with my friend today, and I said to them, I hope you understand your value. And this person came back and said, I hope you understand yours. You know, and then they went on to say what, how much I do for other people. And here's the reality in terms of finding my identity. And this is as real as I can be to you. And I, and I shared this back with this person. I could spend the rest of my life doing for others, and I intend to, and I would still be overpaid for what has been done for me in terms of finding out who I am. And and, and that's a beautiful thing about recovery. You know, I remember, and I, and I shared it a while back about, uh, you know, being a, a hostage taker, right? Hostage or hostage taker. And, and I remember, you know, in, in my identity, um, about a year and a half sober. And uh, I went to my friend Bill because I was having problems with relationships. 
And and Bill said, well, here's the problem. You don't get into relationships. You just take hostages. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and that startled me and it offended me. Then I realized he really cared for me, right? Because people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And he had established a degree of caring in me so I could believe him. And based on the evidence, I took my own inventory based on what he said. And he was absolutely right. Because my identity was... I needed you to validate me. So I needed the outside. I needed someone or something to tell me that I was okay. And here's the challenge though. If you left me, I would not be okay. But if you stayed and you gave me what I wanted when I wanted, that was somehow validating me. That was not the identity that we're talking about. Because that identity is not about me, it's about you, and it's about others and other things, right? So the condition of being oneself or itself and not another. Also, the condition or character as to who a person is. I like that. Smacks at the character. You know, character. A person's character is a blueprint of who they are. You know, and it's not to say that my character does not need to evolve because my identity does need to evolve and grow and deepen and, and again, evolve and change as I, as I continue to take my own inventory. And when I'm wrong, I promptly admit it, right? And, and I learn how to change and I learn how to grow and I learn how to add and I learn how to, to take away things that are harming me. Um, but, but character is defined as, you know, kind of like doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. We don't, it's not situational ethics. The condition of who I am or the character of who I am is consistent and it's representative of Robert Pardon. The next thing regarding identity is revolves qualities, beliefs that distinguish or identify a person. Do you ever do, do one of those tests where you can see them online and say, what do you know about so-and-so? And they list all of these things or you have to say all these things are match, you know. Um, I would want that to be true. You know, I would want... Number one, I know what my qualities and I know what my beliefs are. And I hope that distinguishes me or identifies me as a person. You know, I would like to think that people who know me like Angie or Susie or, or, or Wendy or Chaz or Tess or um, obviously Laura, you know, my children, anyone who's close to me who knows me for a minute, you know, if you said, do these who do these characteristics remind you of? I would like to think that they would sign my name to it. Obviously, for some people who aren't as close to me, you would need to give them more or 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 you could say, okay, Robert Pardon, here's all the qualities, match all the qualities that you see that distinguish him as being an independent person. And hopefully they would match what I feel about me, right? It, it It's not that I go by what you say, 
but I use what you think or what you say or how you feel about me as almost a sounding board, as a way to take my own inventory. And when something that you're expressing doesn't match what I believe, I need to take a look at it, right? Again, contempt prior to investigation is a bar against all information and will lead to everlasting ignorance. And I don't want to be characterized by that. Also, it is the state or fact of being the same as one described. So along with the one up top, but if I describe me to you, or I say these characteristics identify me as me, and you'd look and say, well, that's nothing like you. I want to be consistent. It's the state or fact of being the same as described, right? You get what you pay for. It means that I've met an expectation. And isn't that nice to do in recovery? We are people who meet expectations. And then finally, for the lack of time, sake of time, the sense of self providing sameness and continuity into personality over time. I love the caveat to that. The sense of self, coming to know who I am, having confidence in, in me as God would understand me, learning about who I am, providing sameness and continuity. There's a consistency there, a sameness in personality over time, a continuity. In other words, who I think I am and how you see me is the same over time. And isn't that the hallmark of recovery? Again, recovery is not a destination. It is a journey. So over time, I'm evolving. Over time, I'm learning how to become a more consistent and realistic version of who I say I am and who I want to become. Just a better version of me, right? That's one of the things you hear me say. I want to become the best possible version of me today so I can be of optimum value to you. And that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Recovery is becoming everything we would need to be for us so we could be of great value to another. Again, tradition one of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. It takes me being the best I can for me and being united with you in a common cause of becoming well, of carrying this unified message. It's a fellowship of men and women who share, and that's what we are surely doing today. Hey, I want you to go to recoveryguy.org Check out my podcasts. Check out my blogs. That's where you can grab all my blogs right now. Print them. Use them in your treatment centers. Use them in any form that you want. It's all free. You can pull down my podcast there. You can also see a list of all my podcast channels. Uh, if there's a favorite or major podcast channel that you like that's not listed, let me know so I can let Jonathan know and we can get that added for you. At your, We want to make it convenient. Please remember to share. Find me on, re, uh, on Instagram at recovery underscore guy. 
I've got a great focus group I work with who helps me stay in tune and relevant and sharp and correct, and I'm, a, I'm accountable to them. So, so let me know what's going on with you. You can DM me. Let me know. If you're looking for a life coach or a sober coach, we can have that conversation as well. At The Recovery Guy on Facebook. So I'm pretty easy to find between blogs and podcasts, messaging and whatnot. If you want to be a part of this ministry, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash recovery guy to give a monthly donation. You can always find Patreon through my website as well, recoveryguy.org. Or go to Venmo if you want to give a one-time gift um, at robert-pardon-3 at Venmo. Anything we do, we do for each other in this recovery community. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And as always, my name is Robert, and I am the Recovery Guy.